Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. It's Friday, April 3rd. Today we're talking about layoffs at Bird, Zoom's security issues, employee protests about COVID-19 exposure at Amazon and other retailers, whether startups will see any relief from the $2 trillion stimulus package, and the predicament facing first-time fund managers. Connie, everybody's using Zoom these days, but companies like Tesla have outlawed it. What is happening with Zoom on the security front? Zoom has been through the ringer this week. The company, founded by former WebEx engineer Eric Wan, has apologized for its now well-known security breaches, but I think a lot of people are really astonished and put off by the fact that the things that you would just like to have in a chat and video application, like strong encryption, strong privacy controls, security, just seem to be completely missing. In fairness to the company, this was very much an enterprise product until five or six weeks ago. That's around the time when much of the world outside of China began self-quarantining. So all of a sudden, it's this consumer product with millions of people signing up. Still, you heard the stories about rampant abuse as trolls attack publicly shared video calls. Uh, In fact, yesterday, a former NSA hacker realized that attackers can also very quietly take over a computer's microphone and video camera. So it's not just these people who are bursting into calls and disrupting them by screen sharing offensive imagery or hateful messages. In fact, the company said earlier this week that it's going to stop working on any new features until it gets this right. It also just announced that starting tomorrow, it will require passwords to enter calls via meeting ID because apparently these can be guessed or reused. And it's going to change virtual waiting rooms to be on default so that hosts have to manually admit attendees. In the meantime, it's frankly not that easy to give up given that it does work really, really well. It works so well, in fact, that companies are using it to lay off employees en masse in in some case, which must feel like a real kick in the pants. Obviously, a lot of companies don't have any choice to, to use Zoom, but certainly some companies are doing it better than others. A case in what not to do, for example, centers on Bird, the e-scooter company that apparently notified 400 employees a week ago to tune into a generic-sounding Zoom webinar titled COVID-19 Update. Apparently, those employees tuned in only to discover a blank screen and to hear a disembodied voice tell them over the course of what would be just two minutes that they were losing their jobs. Not only that, but within minutes, apparently everyone's MacBooks restarted. They were locked out just as the employees were sort of frantically absorbing the message, trying to exchange personal numbers uh, and emails on Slack. It just sounds hugely demoralizing and like a huge, huge misstep by the company's CEO, Travis Vanderzanden, for whom the employees were ultimately working. So to not have him even have the courtesy of talking with them directly was just incredibly bad judgment on his part. 400 is certainly a large number, but according to the New York Times, 50 startups have laid off roughly 6,000 people. Airbnb has suspended $800 million of marketing. ZipRecruiter has laid off 40% of its staff. And job listings at some of the most valuable startups in the U.S. dropped 19%. This certainly pales in comparison to the 6.6 million people who filed for unemployment during the week ending March 28th, but there may be many more coming. As Marty Pitchinson, head of the restructuring firm Sherwood Partners and a man known in Silicon Valley as the Gravedigger, said, this is the great unwinding. Given the amount of layoffs, one would think that the $2 trillion stimulus package would include relief for startups. But the problem is no one is really sure if it does. One of the issues is 
whether or not startups are considered to be affiliates of venture firms. This revolves around the issue of whether or not a VC firm exercises control over a startup company. If a startup is judged to be an affiliate, then the number of employees of the VC firm would be added to the number of employees of the startup. And if that number were in excess of 500, then the startup would not qualify for the $10 million or so in loans that a company is allowed to claim under this act. This is a problem that people have identified, and the NVCA has submitted a letter to Steve Mnuchin about this. And in addition, House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi and Representative Ro Khanna have sent a letter to the administration. Kevin McCarthy, a Republican minority leader in the House, has said that this problem will get fixed. But so far, it still is an outstanding issue. One would think in this kind of climate, startups wouldn't be getting funded, but they are, particularly drug development companies. On Wednesday, for example, the top deals of the day included three really massive fundings. One was for Dynacor, which is a France-based drug development company that raised $55 million in Series C funding. Another was Itios Therapeutics, a nine-year-old Belgium-based startup that raised $125 million. And a third was Pandion Therapeutics, which is based in Cambridge. It's focused on autoimmune disorders like type 1 diabetes, and it raised $80 million in Series B funding. I'm sure all of these deals took time to get together and are just now being announced. Still, I suspect we're going to see a glut of biotech and life sciences deals getting done right now, especially as time wears on. I do also think there's probably an opportunity for other types of deals, of course, including perhaps games and entertainment types of startups that you could sort of see breaking through during this time when we're all housebound. I do wonder whether as households start running lower on cash and have to focus more on necessities, those trend lines will continue. Cheery, I know. In other non-cheery news, employees at Amazon, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, and Instacart are protesting because they believe that they have too much exposure to the COVID-19 virus. Many of these employees are deemed to be essential workers, but they aren't afforded the same protections as emergency personnel, such as having gowns and gloves and masks. In fact, many of these employees don't even have health insurance. Companies like Amazon have offered to raise pay by $2 an hour, and they don't seem to be finding any shortage of workers who want to work for these companies. However, 14 state attorneys generals have written a letter to Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos and Whole Foods CEO John Mackey asking the executives to expand the paid sick leave policy at Amazon and Whole Foods. And this has also spurred a lot of interest in unions among these workers as well. It really sounds like they need one. The outlet Vice this week obtained leaked notes from an Amazon meeting attended by CEO Jeff Bezos that detailed plans to smear a fired warehouse organizer who was described internally as, quote, not smart or articulate, and who Amazon creepily discussed making the, quote, face of the entire union forward slash organizing movement. This worker was actually fired earlier this week after he led a walkout of a number of employees at a Staten Island distribution warehouse. Amazon says he was fired for violating a company-imposed quarantine after he came into contact with another employee who tested positive for the coronavirus. But the employee says he was singled out after pleading with management to sanitize the warehouse and be more transparent about the number of workers who are sick. Not a good look for Amazon. But before we move on to our interview of the week, 
I also did a story on first-time managers who are probably, for the most part, out of luck right now if they were in the market. This isn't brand new news. Limited partners who I talked with as soon as the market turned said there was pretty much no way they'd be taking meetings right now with anyone who they don't know very well. And even those managers, they don't necessarily want to hear from right now. But I did talk with some VCs who've started their own venture businesses over time, and they sort of underscored how hard those first funds are to raise. And they echoed the sentiment that there really couldn't be a worse time to be trying to make a go of it as a new manager. And their advice basically, put a pin in it, unless you like the sensation of beating your head against the wall. The story stood in stark contrast to another story I wrote earlier in the week about General Catalyst, the 20-year-old early-stage venture firm, which closed on a record amount for its partnership of $2.3 billion across three new funds. It positions the firm very well in this economy, where a lot of founders are going to find their funding options are just far fewer than they once were. In fact, it's so much money that I do wonder if, depending on how long this downturn lasts, general catalysts or others of these bigger firms will potentially wind up downsizing uh, the size of these funds over time. It's, It's kind of hard to put money to work when you can't meet with people in person. The checks they're liable to be writing will be smaller than they were a year ago. You can sort of see LPs messaging some of these firms that, you know, maybe they don't need so much money after all, but we'll see. And that does it for this week's news. And now a word from our sponsor. Raising capital for your startup fund or SPV? Founder Suites Investor CRM will help you manage your investor pipeline, and their database will help you fill your funnel with relevant prospects. Rounding out the suite are Pitch Deck Hosting and Investor Newsletter Tools to help you market your deal most effectively. Create a free account at www.foundersuite.com and use code STRICTLYVC for a 30% discount on any paid plan. Offer ends soon. We're so happy to be sitting down today virtually with Neil Sakara, previously managing director with General Catalyst for more than 13 years, who joined forces with Trey Vassallo, who herself spent 12 years as general partner with Kleiner Perkins before they co-founded their firm Defy Ventures, an early stage firm in the Bay Area. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on, Connie. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So Neil, it's been a while since we actually had a chance to sit down in person. I'm just wondering, how are you doing? Things are good, um, all things considered, given the new normal. We have um, been pretty busy uh, at home. Obviously, my kids are home uh, homeschooling, and my amazing wife is taking care of them. And at work, we've been really busy. About a third of our time, because our portfolio isn't too large yet, having established the firm three years ago, uh, we have a manageable portfolio where we kind of have red companies, yellow companies, and green companies in, in buckets. I'd say right now it's probably 25% red, 50% yellow, and about 25% green. So we have some time managing those, but it's also a unique time to really support entrepreneurs and back entrepreneurs. We have four term sheets out, two that we've already wired in the last three weeks. So two de- new deals in the last three weeks. And a couple more that should close in the next week. So we've been busy looking at new opportunities and supporting entrepreneurs during this time. Were those term sheets issued uh, after the shelter-in-place rules went into effect? They were. So um, you know, we had 
of real variety. Um, so after the shelter in place um, took effect about three weeks ago, we had been working on a couple of interesting opportunities. One was a true early stage um, startup. And the reality is investing in a company at that stage where you have a couple of founders building something that we think could be big is, uh, it, you know, the cycle on any venture back company at that stage is seven to 10 years. And it's likely we'll go through another cycle. Um, so that really just did not dissuade us from making the investment in the company at that time. And, uh, and then one was a company that was a little farther along where we'd known the founder for a decade and uh, he was raising a financing round and, and one of the other investors fell through. So we were able to quickly step in and, and make the investment alongside some real amazing co-investors. Another investment was one on the smaller side, but a consumer application that we're excited about and there may be opportunities to invest more in the future. And then there's another one uh, where it's a company we had a real small seed investment in, but we decided to step up and take a uh, larger percentage of the company because we just love the business. And instead of sending them to market in the current market environment, um, we decided to kind of lead a round of financing. So those all happened actually in the last three weeks. Simultaneously, we are um, a couple of our companies are in market and we're looking forward to supporting them through this time. And we did have a couple of term sheets before that that we're still working on. We're just working through the um, new business plans for those companies, but it's been a it's been a busy busy period. Neil, it's not surprising to hear that you moved on one deal. Kind of sounds like opportunistically when somebody else dropped out. That's that's something that I'm hearing from other investors. Also, I think it's worth noting, if I'm understanding you correctly, you knew all of these founders ahead of time. That's a really good point, Connie. In every case, when we've been able to move really quickly, we've actually known the founders for the most part, for a decade. This might be their new project, or it might be someone we've backed previously. And so that that makes a huge difference. It's a great question, because I'm actually hearing it from our companies who are in market, which is venture firms are looking around and trying to make a, a decision, probably for the first time, if they're going to lead around to financing without actually having met the team. And that, I think, is something in the industry that is a really hard thing to do because our business is all relationship-based. And so given a relationship-based business, if you haven't spent the time getting to know someone, uh, having lunch with them, you know, even getting to know their family in most cases for us, the way we run our firm, um, it's really hard to make that decision. So I think you raise a completely valid point, which is it is difficult, and we're seeing it in the market today, that if you don't have some history uh, with the individual for a firm to really change their process, which usually includes a face-to-face meeting, if not multiple face-to-face meetings, can be quite difficult in this market. Can I ask, do you see valuations coming down? I mean, there's also a lot of talk about the funds that did kind of get this done recently or late last year being in kind of the catbird seat right now. Are you seeing deals at a discount? And if so, how big a discount? These aren't the moments to take advantage of people. It's really the moment to get involved in companies and people you love where there weren't opportunities before. Making a fair deal will always suit you better than taking advantage of anyone. And if you're in this for a short period of time, or you want to be opportunistic, or maybe you're in a different asset class and you're interested in some exposure to venture and you see some bargains, that's your choice. And there will be investors who do that. A lot of people call them vulture investors in that case. But times change and things get better. Those are the folks who people don't want to partner with down the road. We've seen a couple of our portfolio companies have term sheets pulled and 
the good news is in, in those cases, the companies have plenty of runway. You know, most of our companies have 18 months plus of runway. So we feel pretty good about their ability to to get through this. Or in some cases, you know, we're fine to be supportive because we're excited about the companies. But people do sometimes take advantage. And uh, that's just a reality of any down market. It doesn't matter um, what it is. It, but if you want to do venture capital specifically for a long time, you should try to be thoughtful, respectful of entrepreneurs and understand that getting a 10 or 20% better deal is not going to help you out long term. Neil, 18 months is a long time, uh, a long amount of runway to have. Are the your companies having to do layoffs? I mean, it seems like that's happening sort of across the board. I would say that a majority of companies have hiring freezes. And the reality of a hiring freeze is for a growth company that is almost in some ways looks a little bit like a layoff in that you're not you're not going to double your staff. You're not going to hire 15 more engineers right now. So I'd say a majority of companies have a hiring freeze right now, which for a growth venture company is a pretty big deal because that means, you know, you're kind of tempering expectations for a quarter or two of what you're trying to perform for the board. Uh, the companies that we've seen some layoffs, whether it be in our portfolio or externally, uh, I think there's a few categories. One is you have a pretty high top line and the top line, if it's a retail or services business, is coming down fast. And if that happens, that actually flows directly to your bottom line. So your burn goes up basically by the amount of top line revenue that is not coming in. Any company who has that going on is going to have to make cuts and you've seen it in the market. The second is, again, an area we don't invest in, but has happened a lot over the last three or four years, is companies that use cash as a moat as a competitive advantage against their competitors. So they're acquiring customers and spending a lot of cash to do that. They're going to have to make a tough decision, which is either cut down the growth and the spend or cut employees. The third category is there are verticals where it's impossible to not make some changes to teams. Um, the ones we've identified and we've communicated to our LPs are generally around retail. If you're selling into that sector or you happen to have companies, we don't have a lot direct to consumer, but we do have plenty of retail infrastructure. That tends to be an area where folks are going to have to make some changes. The second one is SMB sales generally. So whether you're selling software or you're selling a product into SMBs, that tends to be one that can be a challenge. And the third one is Anyone who's selling enterprise with a large ticket and has a high revenue number, those categories will require <clears throat> near-term cuts. I think 6.6 .6 million people applied for unemployment last week. That's a big number. Um, and you know, trying to make up for the loss of consumers uh, purchasing is is uh, a concern for anyone who has a you know what could be a really good business, but the impact uh, you know, flows through your P&L very quickly to the bottom line. You talked about how you don't have a lot of direct-to-consumer investments. What areas are hot right now for you? Well, one that was completely um, luck in some ways, I should say, is HonorLock, which happens to be in remote testing. We met the team in January, and I uh, closed the investment in February for remote proctoring. Their business is probably multiple times larger uh, than we would have expected given school closures and testing needing to be remote. And proctoring is something that has to happen. 
there's a few competitors in the space, but they're trying to use more technology and scalable solutions. So that's one sector that, you know, anything that has to be remote. So we're seeing a lot of business plans for smaller companies that compete with Zoom. I think that's a little bit of a, a harder slog for us. We've probably looked at four or five business plans in the last month. You know, remote learning, remote working together as a team. There's some really interesting businesses we've seen and some of our companies use. And that is a trend that is probably just going to sustain going through this, right? So even when the stay-at-home orders come off, am I personally going to go to as many board meetings in Seattle as I had previously, unlikely, at least for the next year, as we work through and, and look for a vaccine for the virus. For a period of time, people are just going to travel a little bit less, go in larger groups for a little less. And it's not a quarter, it's multiple quarters. Security um, tends to be forgotten about sometimes when you have technology and you're using new technology that wasn't managed before. And now as kids are using it and other people are using it, the security around keeping those things safe and controlled is important. The last sector I'll mention uh, is consumer. So Italy went from the 30th largest paying gaming market to the fifth largest paying gaming market in six weeks. One of the companies we invested in in the last couple of weeks is a media startup, which has been out of favor for venture for a very long time. But part of the idea is that people will continue to consume media, will continue to grow. There's ways to acquire customers more cheaply. And whether it be subscription-based or games or things that are can be done at home or on your mobile device, that's an area we we get really excited about because it's been out of favor for a while. And that's that's part of our business. If you want to be successful, <clears throat> you tend to zig when others zag. Neil, I also wanted to talk to you about D2C. You also led an early investment in the Honest Company. We've talked over the years about the opportunity for a lot of new brands to emerge. What I think is sort of interesting right now is it seems like there's an opportunity for brands while people are sort of stuck at home. But at the same time, there are questions, of course, about the safety of those warehouse workers. The New York Times wrote a story about the real real and its sort of continued success, but also its continued focus on keeping its sort of authentication centers open, which is causing some problems for its employees who feel in some cases like they could catch this thing and potentially bring it back to family members. But I'm not hearing talk about other D2C companies. I'm just wondering, is this a problem that they all might eventually face right now? On the warehousing side and the distribution side, everyone has a different approach, right? So some uh, very small brands will you know, basically do it themselves. Um, some medium-sized brands will partner with an Amazon and then the larger ones have their own distribution facilities. And the distribution facilities are a concern. I think you've heard that from Amazon and you've heard that from others where, you know, you're really servicing product that is truly needed by consumers. It's almost borderline whether it's necessary or not. And so, you know, I think you're going to continue to see both concerns from the worker standpoint, but also from the companies. Second thing, just in anecdotally, while our infrastructure companies who sell into these folks haven't seen, surprisingly to date, um, significant dips in revenue, anecdotally, I think the longer tail D2C brands are definitely seeing decreases in demand um, just as consumers pull back. Uh, it's natural. It's it's a total normal thing. If you looked at most of those companies, having consumers pull back uh, is never good. The good news is the smaller companies don't have a ton of inventory, so they can 
sit on it. If it's perishable inventory, you're in trouble. The last thing, you know, what I think is pretty obvious is a Goldman report came out yesterday. So the last two weeks of March, a 65% decline in retail. It was 90% in movies and casinos. I think it's pretty fair to say that in April, it'll be a 90% in retail. And so you have that kind of an impact uh, on a particular industry. It is a huge concern and trying to shore up your cost structure, hopefully, Uh, the government can help. But right now, I think uh, one big issue in the venture community is that because of affiliation rules does not include many venture-backed companies, hopefully Rokana and Nancy Pelosi have have sent a a note or a message to hopefully change that rule with the SBA about affiliates because some of the greatest companies that hire technology people, whether it be Facebook, Cisco, Google, and hire thousands of people were venture-funded. Sure. And I think maybe as the government starts to starts to appreciate how many people are being laid off uh, at venture-backed companies. Hopefully that message gets through. Neil, thank you so much for making time for us. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Connie, thank you so much. Thank you, Alex. Really appreciate it. Love what you guys do and always happy to chat. And that's it for this week. If you are interested in more Strictly VC content this weekend, we are going to be posting a couple of things to our Bare Bones YouTube channel, including an interview with the founders of Jewel, Adam Bowen and James Monsies. It's from a Strictly VC event in late 2018. It was their only joint appearance publicly and one we were waiting to post as we had agreed to wait first for a 60 minutes interview that never happened. Also, we're going to be posting video from our online happening from last week. So look for that as well. Thanks, everyone. Mm